We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Welcome everybody to Redemption Church. My name is Chris Fluitt and I'm ready to share the Word of God with you today. We're in the fifth and final week of our sermon series called Deep Fake. As we've told you, the people in our in our intro videos, they are not real people. They are created artificially by AI. And it just further proves to us that you cannot always trust what you see. Reminder, deep fakes are synthetic media that have been digitally manipulated to replace one person's image convincingly with that of another. We have talked a lot about the image of God. That Jesus is that perfect image of God. If you want to know what God looks like, you should look to Jesus because he is the image of God. And if you want to know what you are supposed to look like, you need to look to Jesus because he is the image of what humanity is supposed to look like, act like, talk like, think like. Jesus is that image we are supposed to reflect to the entire world. We are each made in the image of God. Yeah, look at somebody say, yeah, he's talking about you. You are made in the image of God. No matter how messed up you think you are and how messed up the things you think are and the things you've said and oh, if I could just redo last Monday. If these thoughts are going through your, uh, it still does not take you away from this fact You were made in the image of God and we should reflect that wonderful image. Sin, however, is like a deep fake. It is like a hack. It is like a hijacking of that image of God. And then it tries to manipulate that creation into an image of its own. Since the beginning, the enemy has been trying to do more then simply alter the image. You know, there's a certain thing you can do. Um, They put glass in front of the Mona Lisa, right? Because somewhere, someone would draw a little mustache on her, right? They would just, that's kind of funny. (laughs) Ha ha, I drew a little. If you ever had a textbook in school, grade school, right? You'd you'd open that up on the first day of class and you'd, you'd look and it was a used textbook somebody's drawn drawn in it. They've drawn little glasses on people and you're like, oh, someone's a jokester. This is going to be a good year. I might not learn a thing, but I'm going to see what kind of art they drew on it. People like to come and alter the image. I want to tell you that our enemy that we've talked about this series, he wants to do more than draw a little mustache on the image. He wants to do more than, than draw a funny face on your image. He wants to do so much more than that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's talk uh, by looking back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3 is where we first see this on display. Verse 1, the serpent is described as crafty. Can you say crafty? Some verses say subtle. Some verses say cunning. But crafty, we're going to go with crafty today. And that's his image at this point. That's the image the Bible gives him in, in verse 1. He is more crafty than all the animals in the garden. You follow me so far? The serpent then attacks the image of God 
by attacking the humans. See, that's how he attacks the image of God. He doesn't go straight to God and then tell God off. He doesn't dare try to go get a marker and draw on God. No, he goes to people. Because he knows that's the image of God. And he goes and he attacks people. And in verse 3, the serpent then attacks not only the people, but God's character in their eyes. The serpent says that God, you know, God, God is just worried. Because if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. And he doesn't want that. Now, here's what's silly. They were already made in the image of he knew it. They didn't. Listen, when are you going to learn? You're made in the image of God. The enemy realizes it. Let's understand that ourselves. The serpent knew it, but Adam and Eve didn't know it. My goodness, you will never meet a person that is not wonderfully made by the creator and made with his image, his likeness, his plan in mind for them. That gives me hope for ministry. That gives me hope for ministry in a world that is increasingly more cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs than it was last week. It's just getting worse and worse all the time. I still have to remember, oh, those, the ugly faces I see on the news with filled with anger, filled with, with, with lying. Got to remember they're made in the image of God and we're called to win those people. We're called to baptize those people. We're called to one day hand the microphone to those people and they're going to tell us that it's true. God loves even them. And God loves even you. Woo. Ah, I'm glad I'm in a church that believes that tonight. So the serpent here, he's lying and he's also projecting. He's projecting. You know what it means to project? Project is like, I've got these problems and I project them onto you. I say them about you, but they're really, well, whose problems? Yeah, they're really whose thoughts? Everything you see Satan do is not just lying. It's also projecting. Yeah. The serpent's goal is to remake humanity in his image. His goal is to remake the image of God into his image. Yeah. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. And in verse 7, it says they realized they were naked. And this is the image they see of themselves. I want to talk to you about two Hebrew words. I didn't know this one week from today. God revealed that to, this to me this week. We got the word crafty. And it is the word Arom. Everybody say Arom. You're speaking Hebrew. That's the word for crafty. One more time. Practice it. Arom. All right. That's the word for crafty. That is Satan. That's the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. He is more Arom than anyone else. He is Arom. And then we go down to verse 7. Remember, they ate the fruit and they realized they were. Let's look at the word for naked. The word naked. Now you see right here, this is a different word, right? But can I pronounce it for you? Arom. Wait, wait, wait. Who noticed something about the word for naked? Arom. 
Arom sounded a lot like what other word? Arom. The word for crafty. This is known as a homophone. Everyone say homophone. It's when two words are spelled differently. They have different meanings, but they sound exactly the same. And right there in, in Genesis 3, you've read this all your life. You didn't know that there was Hebrew wordplay going on. There are two different words with the same pronunciation. That's wordplay in the Hebrew language. The image of the crafty serpent, Arom. And the image of the tricked humans is also Arom. What's going on here? Your enemy, the serpent, the devil, wants to do more than hijack the image. He wants you to reflect the image. He wants you called by his name. He wants you called by his image. Arom. Arom. Say it one more time. Arom. Let's talk about the image of the enemy. The enemy has throughout history displayed his image. He did it in Genesis 3. It does not end there. When you study your Bible. In fact it's a great time to start on next year's reading plan. Right? Everybody that kind of faltered around Leviticus. Congratulations. You get to start right there. And just start again. You can start now. Okay? Start on next year. The enemy throughout history. As you read through your Bible. You will see the enemy over and over and over. Displaying his image. There's a guy named Nimrod. He shows up in Genesis chapter 10. He is the first king of, in your Bible. It calls, it says he has a kingdom. He is the first king to rule the world. He is that big of a ruler at this point. Genesis 10 tells us he didn't stop at being king. His kingdom rebelled against God and it builds a tower called Babel against God. It had a different motive in mind than God's motive to spread through the world and multiply. It had a different plan. It had a different image to it. It had his own glory in it. The glory of Nimrod was his plan. It wasn't to build a cool building. Pharaoh, anybody know Pharaoh? He's the leader of what country in the Bible? Egypt, right? He's more than just the ruler of Egypt. He displayed his image as the image of a God to be worshipped. He would not accept the God of Israel, probably, mainly, because he had a whole collection of gods and he was one of them. Nebuchadnezzar. Somebody say Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, he was king of Babylon and he had, he exhibited worldwide power. He exiled the people of Israel and he set up a golden image. What did he do with the golden image? Did he just want people to look at it? Look at the pretty art. No, that's not it. They played music. And when the music was played, people would worship the image. What image? His image. Caesar. Julius. Yeah, that guy. Julius Caesar was the worldwide ruler of Rome. His reach reached throughout the world. Caesar put his image on everything. There's a place in your Bible where Jesus holds up a coin and says, whose image is on this coin? Who did, whose picture was on there? It was not Abraham Lincoln. It was Julius Caesar. That was his way of saying, yeah, that's mine. And you're going to have to pay taxes. 
He does more than just put his image on things. He claimed that his image was the image of God. There's a saying, and it is, we know the saying, Jesus is Lord. But did you know that we didn't have that original saying? The original saying was Caesar is Lord. Because they worshipped Caesar as God. And Christians, we took that and we said, no, he's not our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. Revelation tells of an antichrist who will be king over the entire world. Do you see the pattern of a king that's whose reach goes way beyond a nation? It reaches all the way around the world. It's copying this that will come because it's always been the devil at work. The antichrist will be king over the earth and worshiped as God. He will actually stand in the temple that will be built and he will be worshipped as God. He will offer sacrifice to himself as a God. And he will put his image everywhere. Say image. image. Like Nebuchadnezzar. Like exactly like Nebuchadnezzar. Not kind of, sort of. Exactly like Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to set up a golden image. And everybody must worship that image. He's going to demand that the image is worshipped. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Somebody say the mark of the beast. In Revelation it tells us of a mark of the beast. Raise your hand if you haven't ever heard the term mark of the beast. Abby I love you. We should hang out. Abby's the only one. Love you Abby. Love that honesty. Love that. Most people have heard of the mark of the beast. Now who knows what the mark of the beast is? Kind of. Right. Everybody's all over the place. Listen. The Antichrist will have some sort of mark. Some sort of image. Visual. Visible. Most people talk about what the image mark must be. We, we talk about that and you can have entire books about that. You can run into long rabbit hole trails on the internet. Don't do it. You watching and listening online, do not go to YouTube and just go, what is the mark of the beast? You'll just stop. listen to me. Just don't do it. You'll hear all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, some people wonder, what in the world does it have to do with the numbers six, six, six? I want to tell you today, I've got nothing to say about that. We're not going to talk about that tonight, okay? But look at this, Revelations 13, 16. It also forced, this is the enemy, it. I like how it calls him an it. It also forced all people, all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. From Genesis to Revelation, the enemy's goal is to get humanity to take on his image. Do you see that? Did, did I show it to you? All throughout his plan. This is not like late to the plan. Oh, I know I'll come up with this mark. No, it's always been his image. It's always been his mark. It's always been his plan from the beginning. So 
I want to ask you, is there an area of your life where the enemy's image shows up? You think about that for a moment. Is there an area of my life? Now listen, there's, that, there's this thing. When you're around strong Christians, they're really vocal about this. Oh, I'd never take the image. I'd never take the mark of the beast. You listen to me. Whew, somebody's going to. I'm just saying. But forget about that right now. Is there an area of your life that looks a little bit more like the enemy than looks like Jesus? That's what I'm asking. Is there, is there maybe some things you say that are a little bit more like the serpent than the Lord? Are there thoughts and feelings in your heart and in your mind that are a little bit more like the enemy than the Savior? Listen. I'm just going to offer you a, a wonderful dispensation of grace for when you're driving on the interstate. But we do need to work on that. Okay? We need to love at all times. Listen. In all seriousness, we were made in the image of the one true God. But is there an area of our life where we look more like the enemy? Ask it this way. Push the envelope a little bit. Is our image antichrist? I'll give you some examples. I'll just tell you right now. Unforgiveness is antichrist. If Christ is forgiveness, unforgiveness is. Racism and bigotry is antichrist. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Thankful for that song growing up, learned it. Let me tell you, if Jesus loves all people, then racism and bigotry and prejudice like that, that's not Christ. That is antichrist. How about this one? Secret sin, unrepented sin. It's antichrist. A lack of love for your neighbor. He told us the most important law is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So to not love your neighbor is. Y'all see where I'm going right here? Maybe I'm reframing how you're thinking Antichrist. But this is how we're supposed to be thinking it. Because Jesus says you're either for me or you are against me. We need to be for him more than just in the words we say. We need to be for him more than just we wear a t-shirt that says it. We need to be for him more than say follow me to such and such church on the bumper sticker. You see those, right? It's terrible when they flip you off on 75. Like, really bad. How about this one? The love of money is antichrist. We could just go on and on. Here, here's the truth. Sin is antichrist. And wherever you're struggling with sin, that's an area of your life that's not looking a lot like Jesus. Reframe your thoughts on what antichrist means. Who, who wants to look like the antichrist? No one. All hands down. Everyone hands down. Good job. Yeah. Who wants to look more like Jesus? Do we realize that our sin is part of his image? Not, not God's image. His image. <laughs> the devil's image. Satan's image. Are we light on our sin perhaps? Y'all know what I mean by light on our sin, right? Sometimes we're really heavy on other people's sin. Well, you know that Alex. Uh, but it's okay with me because... I've been having a hard time, right? Self-justification. Do we realize God 
does not. Ooh, I'm going to be careful with this sentence. Here it is. I worked on this this week. Here it is. Should have practiced more. Here it is. Do we realize God does not show grace to sin? He shows grace to sinners. I'll say it one more time. Does God, God does not show grace to sin. He shows grace to sinners. And I'm one of those people he shows grace to. And here's how he shows grace to sinners. By washing them. Forgiving them. Cleansing them. And then giving them power to overcome. That's how he does it. So the enemy wants to come in and he wants to just remove, like, imagine it just like, like, like it's stuck on you, but he's like trying to stick. He wants to remove the image of God off of you and slap on his own image. He wants to replace it. He wants to put it right prominent on you. He wants everybody to see his image. He wants you to be his billboard. He wants you to go around showing what unforgiveness looks like. He loves it when Christians gossip. He loves it when Christians are hateful to one another. He loves it when we look at people and we don't have love in our hearts for them. He's like, oh, yes, excellent. Go on, do that, do that, do that. That's his image. And he's a big fan of his image. He also wants us to worship his image. So he wants to do more than just slap his image on you. He actually wants you to worship his image. Nimrod, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar, and the Antichrist all sought the worship of their image. They would play the music and people would bow before the image and worship. That's how it worked. We, we would like to think that we would never worship the devil. I specifically would like to think I would never worship him. I would specifically like to think that I worship Jesus, Jesus only, only God, only the Lord of glory. That's what I would like to say about myself, okay? Hmm. But do we understand how we might be worshiping the image of the beast? Well, let's talk about it. Ah, culture plays the music. Somebody pushes play and culture just plays that music and we bow and worship at the altar of materialism and greed. Get ready. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. You're going to see jewelry commercials where it's like, you need to finally let her know you love her. Here's how you do it. Throw thousands of dollars, go thousands of dollars into debt and buy her this ring. Or a car with a big bow on it. The bills that come every month don't have big bows on them. But the culture plays the music. The culture plays the song. And we just worship at the altar. The culture says, well, think about the thing you want to buy right now. Why do you want to buy it? There's a new iPhone something. 15? I don't know. It's coming out. I don't even like iPhone, but it's so they are so good at branding it that I'm like, that does sound kind of cool. Maybe, maybe I do deserve a little something. Maybe I do. Culture plays the music and we just are pied pipered right towards it. 
That's one of the major reasons we live in the most wealthy nation on the, in the world. But they're hungry even in our own nation. And they're hungry throughout the world. We're focused on the music that we hear that's leading us to worship at the altar of materialism and greed. And what could we do? Other than spending that money on those things. I, I, I'll move on. The culture plays the music and we dance at the altar of humanism. And focus on the created instead of the creator. We, the music plays and we're tempted. And we're enticed to worship a life of gluttonous, non-stop entertainment. Some of us already know what we're going to do tonight. We're going to go home. We just have this. We, it's just a thing. We lay down in bed. We reach for the remote. And Netflix till we go asleep. When we get home from work, we, we don't have time to kiss the, the wife anymore. It's, we go veg out on people on their lunch break, just they're staring at a screen, right? They play the music and we are worshiping at that altar. Not against entertainment, but I'm sure against the worship of it. The music plays and we worry more about what others think about our status than what God might think about us. All those people. They think this about me. I need to go buy this. And I need to look like this. And I do need to do these things. And all the while not, not giving any mind or thought. To what maybe God thinks about me. The enemy will not stop. Until he has the entire world. Worshipping at his altar. He will make you any false promise. To get you to worship. How do we know this? Uh, Matthew 4 and 8. He did it to Jesus. Again the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And their splendor. It had to look pretty impressive. Verse 9. All this I will give you. He said. If you will bow down. And worship me. I'm telling you. He threw out the big guns on Jesus. He does it to us. Do you want status? Do you want wealth? Do you want power? Do you want money? What is it that you want? I will give it to you if you will worship me. He tried to play his tune for Jesus. But guess what? Jesus would not bow. Verse 10. Jesus said to him. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, then the devil left him. He gave, he gave Jesus his biggest shot and he whiffed on it. He struck out. And Satan leaves him and angels come and they attend Jesus. The choice is simple tonight. I want to tell you the choice. You have to make a choice between the beast or the best. Somebody say the beast or the best. You will either take on the image of the beast or you will take on the image of the best. And the best is the Lord Jesus Christ. You will either worship the beast or you will worship the best. You will either want your, your best life or you will want the beast life. And in order to have the best life, you can't follow both. You will have to stop following the beast and follow the best. We have access 
to the best. Do you realize that? You have access to the best. The best came to earth. He died for you. He rose again for you. He wants to live in you. You have access to the best. So let's follow the best. Taking on the image of the beast looks like this. Adam and Eve separated from God, kicked out of the garden. The image of the beast looks like your marriage falling apart, growing further and further from one another. The image of the beast looks like depression and hopelessness. The image of the beast looks like thoughts of suicide. The image of the beast looks like chasing after more and more and never being satisfied or happy. The image of the beast looks like self-medication of alcohol and drugs to numb the pain. I'm not even just talking about illegal drugs. There are drugs over the counter that people have become so addicted to. That is the lifestyle of the beast. You being the center of your world, yet being more unhappy than ever. That's exactly the image of the beast. The enemy, the beast, the devil, he wants you to wear his image and worship his image. And this is what is wrong with the world. This right here. This is it. All of this. Everywhere. To the levels of government. To the levels of education. To the levels of our home. To the levels of your heart and your mind. To all of it. To the economy. To world hunger. This is the issue on every issue in the world. Are you taking on the image of the beast or the best? Can we talk about Jesus? Jesus is the best. Can you look at somebody and just say that? Jesus is the best. You mean that? Anybody mean that? Jesus is the best. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the perfect sinless lamb of God. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Mind blowing stuff. In your Bible, over and over and over, when people see Jesus, I mean really see him. I mean like they see him and they realize who he is. You know what they do? They worship him. Over and over in the Bible. Over, over and over. Thomas looked at his hands. Thomas had recently said, I'll never believe that. Not until I see Jesus reach out and I see his hands and the side where he was stabbed with the spear. Not until then will I ever believe. Yet, one day, Jesus walks through a wall into a locked room where a bunch of disciples are like, oh, I hope they don't find us. They're scared. And Jesus walks up to him and he says, here I am. Show, reaches out his hands for Thomas to see them. And Thomas looked at his hands. And here's what Thomas doesn't say. This is what would make sense. It would make sense if Thomas says, well, I'll be. I'll be corn swoggled or something. Weird southern words. Like, no, I'll, I'm really surprised. You are right, Peter. He is alive. No, that wasn't the revelation. That was self-evident. No, the revelation, who knows what he says. He says, my Lord and my 
God. And he worships him as Lord and God right there. Why? Because he sees Jesus as the risen Savior. He sees Jesus and he sees the nail prints in his hand. There's a song I grew up singing, Kathy. It's, I'm just going to sing it because it's been on my heart all week. Here it is. Y'all forgive me. It just says, he's my Lord and my God. He's not just a stranger to me. And this is the part that really gets me this week. When I looked past the veil, it was easy to see. He's my Lord. And my God, scripture tells us that his skin is the veil of his flesh. Like that veil that was in the, the temple that hid the holy of holies. And something happened when Thomas looked past the veil of his flesh. Past the veil of what had already always separated him from God. And he says, oh my goodness. He's Lord and God. He went to the cross for me and he's standing in front of me. You're my Lord and you are my God. Very recently, uh, in fact, it was this week in our small group lessons, we were talking about love looks and we talked about when the disciples saw Jesus lift a sinking Peter out of the water. He's standing on water and lifts a guy out of the water yeah. like that. What do the people do on the boat? It says that they worshiped Jesus. The shepherds and the wise men, we talk about it every year come Christmas. They came and they worshiped the Lord. The man born blind, he saw Jesus and he worshiped him. Over and over and over. When people really see who Jesus is. They worship him. This is an important difference between the beast and the best. The enemy forces you to take his mark. For those who receive Jesus as Lord. Are baptized into Christ. Into his name. And clearly see Jesus for, he, for who he is. They freely take on his name. No one forces them. Revelations 22 and 4 says they will see Jesus' face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now remember, the beast had a mark, right? Where was that? It was on the forehead. You're either going to serve the beast or you're going to serve the best. But those that see Jesus are going to have his name written on them. His mark, his image, his name. Jesus does not ever force you to bear his name. We choose to bear his name. Anyone glad that they chose to take on his name? To love his name? The enemy tells people, demands people, threatens people. You either worship or you get thrown into a fiery furnace. He forces people to worship him. He makes laws that you worship him or die. He makes bargains like worship me, I'll give you the nations. But nowhere in scripture does Jesus command people to worship him. Do you know this? Nowhere in scripture does Jesus command people like you and me to worship him. It's nowhere found in scripture. He calls people to follow him. He calls people to come learn of him. But I want you to understand this. He doesn't call people to worship him. He doesn't tell them to do that. Some people go this route with that. 
and it's wrong. They say, well, we shouldn't worship him. He doesn't ever stop people from worshiping him either. If it's wrong to worship him, he should have stopped every one of them from worshiping him, right? Now listen. It is when people see who Jesus is that they respond in worship. When they see the perfect image of God, this is when they decide to worship Jesus. Worshiping Jesus is a choice. Worship Jesus is a revelation and then you act on that revelation. It is not him forcing you. It is not him longing so much for your worship. No, it's all about us being blown away by who he is and we fall down and worship him. Philippians 2 tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, right? Now this happens. This will happen. But I want you to know it, 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 it happens not because Jesus commands them to do it. That's not in this chapter. You will not find it. And Jesus stood before them and said, all you suckers need to worship me. Not in there. Not in the Bible. Right? All Jesus does is exist and be who he is. And every eye is going to see him. And every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. Why will we do this? Because we realize when we see him, he is the only image worthy of worship. He is the only image... Guess who else has got knees? Guess who else has a tongue? The beast himself has knees and he has a tongue. What do you think he's going to do when he sees Jesus in this moment? Every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you drawn to worship Jesus? I'm going to tell you the more you see him, the more you learn about him, you'll be drawn to worship him and honor him. It'll never be he has to tell you to worship him. You'll be so crazy about him. You just love to worship him. I'm so glad to be in a worshiping church that just loves to worship God. So every eye is going to see Jesus one day. Guess what? Every eye is going to see the beast one day. Do you want to see what that looks like? Nobody wanted to see it. Well, too bad. I've got the mic. We're going to look at it anyway. Isaiah 14 and 16 says this. Those who see you. This is the beast. This is the serpent. This is Satan. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man? Who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble. I want to tell you when we see the beast. Nobody is going to fall down and worship him. No tongue is going to go whoa what a cool dude that is. No our response is this. That guy. That's the guy I was worried about. That's the guy I let push me around. That's the guy I obeyed. That's the guy I wanted his image. How surprising. You know, I thought he'd be a little taller. When we see Jesus, everyone worships. When we are seeing the enemy, everybody's going to question and be so surprised. 
we will see Jesus one day. And not only will it bring us to worship him. It will change us. First John chapter 3 verse 2. Dear friends. Now we are all children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears. We shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him. As he is. The image of God. The perfect image of God. The image of God. There's something about seeing the image of God and realizing that was God that was hanging on a cross for you. That that was a God who prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mm. When we see Jesus, not only will we be overcome by his glory, confess him Lord, but we will be changed by his image. Oh, we need to see Jesus tonight. The problem that you're going through in life. The secret sin thing. Or the frustration or the anger you're having letting go of. Listen. You've tried to work that thing to death. You've tried to fix that thing on your own. It's admirable how much you've tried. Let me give you a different viewpoint today. Maybe you need to work less. And look at Jesus more. Maybe you need to surrender that thing. And just get a look At Jesus and his love. And let his image transform your image. The more you see Jesus. The more you change. The beasts are the best. The choice is simple. Will you serve the beast or will you serve the best? You will will serve a false manipulated deep fake. Or will you serve the one who is true? That's the choice. What, what should you do with this information? We should serve Jesus. Yes. We should bear his name. Yes. And we should see his image and be transformed into his image. That is what we should do. Right? If you feel like you haven't done that. These altars are going to be open tonight. Come. Pray. Let's talk about it. Okay? Yes. God can do that in you tonight. There is a big difference in being transformed. And trying to copy an image. Right? Anybody as a kid ever look at a cool picture and go, I'm going to try to draw that. How'd that turn out? There's a big difference in being transformed and trying to make a copy. The enemy will always settle for copying an image. I've got proof for you. Isaiah 14, 14. This is the enemy talking. This is Lucifer. This is the serpent. He says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's the devil. He wants to make a copy of what God looks like. I will make myself like the most high. The devil will settle for just being like. I want us to talk to God very soon. But I want, I want to talk to you about not trying to copy the image. But being transformed into the image. Advanced AI is great at copying image. It blows me away. It, it is able to copy sound. But there are limits to what it can copy. I want you to beware of the uncanny valley. Does anybody know what the uncanny valley is? The uncanny valley. Only a few people... The nerdiest of all people looks straight at Marshall, shakes his head. 
Only the nerdiest people know what uncanny valley is. Here's what uncanny valley is. The uncanny valley is a term describing the feeling of negative reactions such as fear, discomfort, and revulsion when exposed to a replication. You know, they've got robots that talk, right? And they look like a, a human, but when they talk, you, you end up going, that's creepy. Yeah. That's the uncanny valley. There is something about how they look, but it's not quite right. And it's somewhere in this difference between that. You just go, that's creepy. Look at somebody say, that's creepy. That's, creepy. that's hurtful. Don't say that about me. In the movie, Polar Express, holiday classic. Jingle all the way in Polar Express. They're the best, right? All right, just kidding. Actors like Tom Hanks wore equipment that literally mapped their movements and facial reactions. They got it down exactly. If his eyebrow went up, the animation's eyebrow went up. If he frowned, he would frown just the same. It's amazing, marvelous technology. Everybody was like, how is that even possible? But they were also like, but why is it so creepy? If you want, I, listen, I love Polar Express. We watch my kids all the time, but I kind of wince when I'm watching it because there is something wrong with Tom Cruise here. Tom Hanks. That explains it. It's amazing high tech, but there is just something a little off. Here's another picture from that movie. There is something, it, you know it's a human girl, but there's something just not right. Now there's some little girl on a green screen and she's making all the facial movements and they're natural to her, but the computer is not able to give us what's natural. Maybe because we were created by a supernatural creator and there is nothing like his creative ability. But there's something soulless there. There's something missing the mark. There's just something about it. And that is what we call the uncanny valley. There you learned something really nerdy tonight. But I want to apply it. I want to give you more than just nerd information. Redemption Church. We must be careful not to just try to copy the image. We must be really careful not to just try to make the right facial expression and copy it. Not just say the right thing and try to emote the right energy and the right emotion. We need to not copy, but we need to be transformed into the image of Jesus. A lot of religion is stuck in the uncanny valley. Let me preach to you for a moment. A lot of religion is stuck in the uncanny valley. Where you look at it and you just go. There's something not right there. I'm not quite able to put my finger on it. Sometimes you flip through the dial. And you see some of those televangelists. And you go. I'm not sure what it is. He's probably saying scripture. But there's something just not right there. And people walk into church and they can talk about Jesus and they can sing about Jesus, but end up not feeling the love of Jesus. Instead, they feel a creeped out feeling. What is that? It's us trying to copy. We're stuck in the un. 
uncanny valley. We look close to, we look like a close replica, but we're not the true image. We're called to be the true image, Redemption Church. We're called to greet people and love them just like Christ did. To serve them just like Christ did. The person at your job, yeah, them too. The person that you're mad at right now, yeah, them too. There are a lot of things that can be copied. Yeah, a lot of things. Attending a church service is copyable. I love that you came to church, but I don't want you to just make a copy of coming to church. How about learning the lingo? There's just certain lingo that you use. Churches use a very Christian church, religious lingo, using the right phrases, knowing how to say it, right? How about looking the parts? Part of Christianity and, and part of religion not Jesus following, but, but religion has been to look the part. Yeah. Right? How about quoting the scripture? People can quote a scripture. People can even quote a scripture and twist it 20 different ways. Yeah. It's possible. Here is something that AI currently has trouble replicating. I'll see if you agree. If we can see that picture. It's a... Uh, yeah... Those are two pair of hands. Do you see that? AI came up with this, Kathy. I didn't draw this. AI it was like, AI, show us two hands holding. And that's what AI came up with. That's a lot of fingers, y'all. That's a lot of hand holding. Those two hands are holding enough hands for like 15 hands. There's a lot of hands being held in this picture. AI has trouble with hands. When you look at AI, some of you haven't noticed about our, our deep fake picture. One thing that stood out to me, I almost didn't use the picture. Because if you, look, if you look at his hand right there, it's hard to see. His hand looks a little weird. His fingers are the same length where they shouldn't be the same length. And AI has trouble with the fingers. They have trouble with the hands. AI has trouble replicating the hands. Something about the most human attribute Confuses the AI. Let's get another picture up there. I asked the AI to show me hand shaking hands. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is way beyond uncanny valley. That is nightmare fuel. You will need to come to pray tonight to get that out of your head. I'm glad those hands aren't moving. <laughs> but this is what AI has trouble with hands. It just doesn't make sense to AI. I asked AI to show me Christians using their hands. I can't tell if that was supposed to be a hand or an arm. And I mean, they're trying to get better at this all the time. But I want to tell you, hands are hard to copy. They tell you that the human hand is one of the hardest things to draw. They will spend years... Trying to get the hands right. I would say that the hands of Jesus. Are impossible to copy. The hands of Jesus. They just can't be copied. AI couldn't copy it. And I want to tell you. We can't just replicate it. We can't just say the right words. Do the right things. To replicate it. No. It takes a transformation. To have the hands of Jesus. 
I want to tell you, get the hands right. Look at somebody say, get the hands right. As we are closing this entire series, I have felt from the very beginning that we should end right at this point. We got to get the hands right. As we get ready to come and pray, I want to invite you to close your eyes all over this place. As, we're, as our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask the musician team to come. All eyes closed. Music team, you come up here. I want you to use your imagination for a moment, church. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to try to imagine the hands of Jesus. Imagine them, see them, see them. Imagine the hands of a carpenter. Imagine rough hands. Imagine hands that have done work. Now imagine those hands that took bread and they gave thanks and and blessed it and multiplied it, broke it and fed a multitude. These hands fed hungry people. I want you to imagine those hands touched sick people and they were made well. Those hands touched lepers and suddenly they weren't lepers anymore. That that hand touched a dead girl and she came back to life. Do you see that hand that drew in the dirt and rescued a woman that was caught in adultery and that hand was not afraid to get dirty. There was dirt under the fingernails of this hand. Here's what I found. The hands that held children. The hands that were nailed to a cross. Do you see these hands? Keep your eyes closed. I want you to now imagine your hands. Being transformed into his hands. I want you to see that. I want you to see your hands going from hands that hurt people. To hands that help people. Do you see that? Can you see that? Not hands that hit people, hands that heal people. Not hands that make other people feel bad doing inappropriate things. No, a hand that, that welcomes people. A hand that clothes other people. A hand that works to feed other people. It works for others. Those hands are Not idle hands that sit by doing nothing. No, they're not twiddling thumbs. No, these hands are working. These hands are working. These hands are surrendered. These hands are like, okay, God, I'll do it. Picture these hands praying with someone else. Picture your hands holding the hands of someone and praying. Picture your hands on on the shoulder of someone as they're weeping. Imagine this. These are the hands of Jesus. We can't just copy these hands. Jesus has to work in us to to a degree that these hands are transformed into his image, into his hands to be more like him. I want you to look up at me. If we're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus, we have got to get the hands right. Redemption Church, we need to work on our hands. We need to greet people that aren't welcome anywhere. Oh, you hear me? There are people that aren't welcome anywhere. They don't feel welcome anywhere. This needs to be the place where they are welcomed. Greeted. Loved. 
This has to be that place. This has to be the place, not only inside this building, but outside this building that we're seeing these people. And we feel God's move on us. And we feel God's love in us. And so we go and we reach out to them and we go grab them. We've got to have our hands transformed. These altars are open right now. I want you to come forward. I want us to pray together. I want us to talk to God in this place. Lord, in Jesus' name, I want us, I want us to be moved in our hearts, God, to change our image from the beast, God, and to be more like the best, God, to be more like you. I want God to convict us of how we've been using our hands, how we've been not like Jesus. Lord, speak to us just like that. These altars are open. If you want someone to pray with you, you come forward in the first two feet. I will pray with you. I'll be so happy to pray with you and see God move. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for everybody watching, listening online. God, get a hold of our hearts. Our hands need to be more like your hands. We can't just copy that. God, we need you to work in us. Lord, we need to be able to surrender our life like you surrendered your life on the cross, God. Lord, we need that. Only you can do that, God. Only you can transform us, transform us right now. Come on online. Pray to God right now. Ask him to transform you. Ask him to transform you, to make you more like his image. More like you, Jesus. Make us more like you, Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's talk to God in this place. Let's reach out to him in this house. 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.